This morning I'd like us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start looking just at one verse this morning. And uh, this has been somewhat of a secondary theme of many messages here of late. Uh, The Bible explains the Bible, and and I I love to do a biblical commentary uh, on verses. And and the verse we're going to look at is one of those verses that's a little more difficult to comprehend, to understand. It's actually, once you get past some of the wording, it's a very simple verse. But a lot of people get caught up in, in what it says here. And we start in verse 21 of chapter 5 of the book of 2 Corinthians. It says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let's just go through that one more time. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now, of course, you have to read uh, the context there to find out where those pronouns to whom they refer. And and the first, He, of course, is God the Father. Uh, The second uh, pronoun there, Him, is talking about Jesus Christ. So God has made Jesus Christ to be sin for us because Jesus knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now, I've heard of preachers uh, preaching, uh, uh, not, not many. I don't listen to preachers who don't study their Bible purposefully, uh, try not to listen to them, but I remember... Uh, years and years ago hearing uh, something, I think it might have been on television set when I was a teenager or something, and the preacher was just going on and on and on about how that God had taken Jesus and made him an adulterer and a murderer and all of these things. And he was using this passage as his text. Now, I don't know anything that could be more blasphemous. That's not what it is saying. You see, God can not sin. If he sinned, he would cease being God. And so as we read this verse, it says, He made him to be sin for us. And and, uh, there's uh, another difficult passage. It's very much in parallel, very connected to this Uh, When God was talking to Cain after he had murdered, I mean, after he had refused to uh, offer the proper sacrifice before he had murdered his brother, he said, listen, if you do well, you're going to be in charge. He said, if you don't do well, sin lieth at the door. And again, many strange and sundry understandings. Uh, had come there, but this word sin in both of those passages is used the same way. It's used to talk about the sacrifice for sin. Jesus 
was the sin sacrifice. And of course, you don't have to read your Bible very far to get that understanding, to know that that's what Jesus was talking about. What I want us to do is just look at this passage here. And, of course, if you find something in the Bible, uh, I promise you, if you understand it correctly, it's going to agree with the rest of the Bible. Uh, The Bible does not contradict itself. It it is us who contradicts ourselves. I mean, we have... uh, Lots of ways of of justifying things that we know just aren't right. And and we always find ourselves in contradictions and things. And I want you to turn with me to the book of Leviticus this morning. And and we're just going to look up the pattern of sacrifice. What this sacrifice is all about. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 4. And uh, we're going to start reading in verse 27. Of Leviticus chapter 4. And if any one of the common people sin through ignorance, while he doeth somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord, concerning things which ought not to be done and be guilty, or if his sin which he has sinned come to his knowledge... Then he shall bring his offering, a kid of the goats, a female without blemish, for his sin, which he has sinned. And he shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering, and slay the sin offering in the place of the burnt offering. And the priest shall take of the blood thereof with his finger, and put it upon the horns of the altar of the burnt offering, and shall pour out all the blood thereof at the bottom of the altar. And he shall take away all the fat thereof, as the fat is taken away from the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it upon the altar for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the priest shall make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. Now, there are many different types of sacrifice. There are even different types of sin sacrifice in the Bible, but... This is typical of what would happen. Uh, The guilty person would acknowledge, number one, that they were guilty. And because of that guilt, there was a debt that needed to be paid. There was uh, a demand by the law that was broken. There was a price that had to be paid, and they would bring... In the case we just read, a kid of the goats, a baby goat, a female, without blemish. And they would bring that to the door of the tabernacle and lay their hands upon that little baby goat and confess their sins. Then the priest would take that goat and he would kill it. He would pour the blood out at the bottom of the altar. He would, before he did that, he would paint the blood with his finger upon the four horns of the altar, and then the animal would be cut up, and it would be put onto the fire that was going there, and it would be burned uh, in sacrifice to the Lord. So the pattern is we see the acknowledgement of the debt owed, 
bringing the price that the law had demanded, the death of the sacrifice, and, and by the way, uh, we, we won't chase this all the way through the Bible, but animals were precious. Read the book of Job. They were the measure of a person's wealth. The shepherd that Jesus talked about in his par- one of his parables left 99 sheep in the wilderness and went and found that one little lamb that was lost. And so there was not, as you and I would think of today, uh, we would go, 99 sheep, one lost, 1% uh, lost cost to doing business, forget the little sheep, don't worry about it, and move on. No, that's not the way they thought. Every little animal was precious. And this animal would be given in a sacrifice. Now, I want you to think about this. Once this process was gone through, it says there was an atonement made and forgiveness was granted. Now, if you went to all this trouble to confess your sin, to bring that animal to the door of the tabernacle, to lay your hands upon it and make a public testimony of what you've done. And by the way, go through your Bible. The door of the tabernacle was one of the busiest places in the children of Israel's living. That's where everybody was. That's where everything happened. If you uh, had any judgment that needed to be done, if you had a conflict, if, uh, if there was trying to find out what was going on in the nation of Israel, it all happened right there. And so when you made that public testimony, it wasn't a private thing. It was a very public thing. And people knew what you had done. You presented the sacrifice. You watched the death of that animal and as it was cut up and its blood was poured out and all of these things. This was the sacrifice. Let me ask you a question. Do you think you were making plans to repeat the same offense as you were offering the sacrifice? No, there was inherent with the sacrifice a promise, a pledge that by God's grace, I'm not going to be here tomorrow doing the same thing that I did today. Uh, There was a promise. It it was, uh, like I said, built right into this thing that Hey, if I'm going through all of this, I'm not just going to go out and willfully do it all over again. This is a change. You see, when you are forgiven, things change. Amen? It's a changed life. Now, this is the pattern of the sacrifice in the book of Leviticus. Let me ask you a question. Let's go back to our... Our verse, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Could I ask you a question? Does what Jesus is, what Jesus did on the cross, a pattern, or does it follow the pattern of what we just read in the book of Leviticus? Surely does. 
Was there a debt that was owed? What does the Bible say? If you know Romans 3.23, say it with me. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many of you know Romans 6.23? For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, all have sinned. There is a penalty for sin. Someone said, well, why couldn't God just allow one sin into heaven? Uh, How many of you read the book of Genesis? How did it all start out? With just one sin? Do you think God's going to let that happen in heaven? No. You see, if you excuse one in order to be just, you must excuse them all. That's why God makes no excuses for any sin. It, it wearies me to, to the depth of my soul when, when we approach God and say, well, you know, God understands about sin. Uh, I, uh, he, he, he knows that we can't live perfectly, and so He understands. And my answer always is yes. He understands so much that He sent Jesus to the cross. That's how much He understands. You see, God will not allow one sin to go unpunished. If you do not accept what Jesus Christ did in your place, then it will be your job to try to pay for your sin. We just finished Easter Sunday, the resurrection of our Lord from the dead. The reason he was sacrificed was to pay the sin debt of all the world. Let me just read Isaiah 53 to you, verses 10 and 11. It says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper In his hand, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. That was the prophet Isaiah. He wrote those words over 600 years before Jesus was led to Calvary's hill. And yet, the Bible tells us that in the mind of God, Jesus was crucified from before the foundation of the earth. Why would it please God to see Jesus suffer? That's what the verses say. Well, it's very simple. If Jesus suffered in our place, then you and I don't have to suffer. I mean, we look at what God is doing and His love. There was a debt that had to be paid. There was a debt that was owed. 
the laws of God had been broken. And it had been broken by every human being that ever lived. Every once in a while, run into someone and they'll think they're saying something cute like I've never heard it before. If only Eve hadn't eaten the apple. And I'm sitting here going, oh my goodness. You know, why don't you look it up in the dictionary and try to find out something more dumb and biblically ignorant to say? Uh, Number one, it wasn't an apple. It was the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you say, what was that? The fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Amen. Uh, If it were an apple, God would have said so. But don't you understand that every living human being has copied what Adam and Eve have done? We have all chosen sin. And it pleased God to have Jesus suffer so that the debt could be paid. And we've referred to this often as we came approached to Easter and in the last several weeks we've been talking about the death of self and how that I find the end of myself, the denial of myself, the taking up of that cross is where life really begins and where true freedom is found. But Jesus in the garden said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You know, when that animal was brought in the book of Leviticus to the priest, as a sacrifice... It no longer belonged to the owner. It was dedicated to God. And Jesus put himself in the same place. That he would not do his will, but only that of the Father. And it meant shame. Read the book of Hebrews. It says he endured the cross despising the shame. Jesus was crucified once before the service. Deborah was sitting down and just playing uh, that hymn out of the hymn book, Once for All, and I I just love that hymn. In fact, we should sing it next Sunday if we can. Uh, And I said, why are you playing that? She said, well, it's open to that page. But The simple truth is, Jesus died one time. Why? Because when the debt is paid, you have forgiveness. Colossians 1.20 says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth, or things in heaven. You see, Jesus died on the cross in perfect fulfillment of the picture of the living example under the Old Testament law. 
He paid the price for sins. And then there comes this thing called forgiveness. Now, we often use this word. Someone will come, maybe in a marriage, the husband will come and he'll say some of the greatest words that you need to learn. I'm sorry, please forgive me. I was wrong. Guess what? It won't hurt for the wife to learn those words too. Amen? Uh, in fact, if you're going to get along with any other human being, it would help to learn how to say and use those words, would it not? But, what happens? The next day, it happens again. You didn't mean that when you asked me to forgive you. You had no idea. You keep doing it over and over. We go back and we dig it up all the time, don't we? You see, that's not the word forgiveness. Forgiveness means it's finished. It's over. It's paid for. You see, that is the pattern. You see, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, we need to spend just a few minutes on that middle phrase, who knew no sin, because Jesus never once sinned. I mean, that's, I don't know about you, but we, we say that so often and we know that to be true. But when is the last time have you, have you really thought about the sinlessness perfection of Christ? I mean, we can't get through a day without thinking thoughts without doing things that are against the Bible. I mean, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, I found some people that say, oh, I don't sin. Well, that's just because your eyes aren't open to what sin really is. Uh, you can get insensitive to sin, or you can just be totally ignorant of what sin is. But let me tell you something. We sin all the time. How many of you ever did something wrong trying to do something right? I mean, we've all been there. In fact, I would hope that in your accounting of sin in your life, that most of your sins would be of that category. Amen? You know, it's just like somebody said, well, I didn't mean to. Well, if you meant to, we'd be looking at a whole other issue now, wouldn't we? And we talk about our sin, but it says, who knew no sin. How many times in the three and a half years of Jesus' public ministry we have recorded in the gospel 
And, and John said that if everything were to be written, the world itself could not contain the books. We have a very summary account. But how many times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is Jesus falsely accused by sinful, wicked men of doing something wrong? And yet he never responded wrong. Stop and think about that. His own disciples didn't get it. And didn't get it. And didn't get it. And by the way, the only time they really did get it was after it was all over. Here they are, Jesus has explained to them about the cross. And James and John's mother comes up and says, Hey, when you're in your kingdom, can I have uh, James on one side and John on the other? I mean, that would just be really nice. Could you do me a favor? I mean, stop and think about that. He's riding on the donkey down the slope into the city of Jerusalem and the scribes and the Pharisees are saying, Can't you hear the blasphemy they are giving? They're calling you God. And Jesus says, If these would hold their peace, even the stones would cry out. And yet he never responded wrong. As they were nailing him to the cross, it was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He who knew no sin. He suffered in our place so that we could have forgiveness of our sin. Amen? But yet, that's not where the verse ends. It says that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You see, God had established the pattern of the law because in His mind and in His understanding and in God's infinite wisdom, He had already ordained the cross. The law was the picture of the cross, not the other way around. But he had given all of those hundreds and hundreds of years of sacrifices under the law to help us understand what Jesus would do one time for all men on the cross. And so, let's look at Ephesians chapter 5 for just a moment. Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 2, it says, And walk in love. Ephesians 5.2 And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet 
sweet-smelling Savior. And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. I want you to understand something. There is a debt owed. If you are here today and you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know what that means? He paid your sin debt for you. He willingly gave what you could never give He willingly paid what you could never pay. If you tried to pay for what Jesus Christ did, you would have to go to hell for all eternity. That's what the Bible teaches. The person who refuses Christ's payment is sentenced to hell for all eternity. That makes what eternity in hell is equal to what Jesus did for you. Amen? Are we together on that? Because God will accept what Jesus did in lieu of eternal punishment. That's what it means when it says, and He made Him to be sin for us. He made Him to be that sacrifice for sin. He paid the debt for sin. He took all of our sins upon Himself. He bore those our iniquities because He knew no sin. He was the perfect Lamb of God that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. I remember meeting a preacher one time and I actually read it in several books and said, you know, I don't know how you Baptists do it. You believe that once you're saved, it doesn't matter what you do, you're always saved. Amen? Yes, that's what the Bible teaches. But how do you make people live clean lives? If, if you can't threaten them with the loss of their salvation, how in, what is their motivation to live a clean life? I mean, if I could go out and do anything I wanted, I would. And I'm sitting here going, what kind of salvation do you have? You see, my debt is not a debt of fear. It's not a debt of retribution. It's not a debt that is a crushing weight and makes me nervous and fearful every day. My debt is a debt of love. We love Him because He First, loved us. You see, Jesus does not want a dead sacrifice. That was his job. Because only he could come back from the dead. He is asking for a living sacrifice. 
And that's what this verse means. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him, that we might live a righteous life, that we might show the world the righteousness of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you today. That is an incredible responsibility. I've met many over the years and they've said, Pastor, I I would get saved. But I can't live the Christian life. There's, There's just no way that I can do all those things that the Bible says I'm supposed to do and stop doing all those things that the Bible says I'm not supposed to. How many of you have read Romans chapter 7? Paul talks about that struggle there. The only way that we have victory over sin is through the blood of His cross. The only motivation that will allow you to lay aside sin and live for Christ is understanding the love that He showed me when He died in my place. You see, there is a debt paid, a debt owed. It's not of sin, because if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He has forgiven you for every sin that you've ever sinned. Amen? But my debt is a debt of love. He loved me. You know what the natural response to true love is? Is loving back. That's what the picture, that's what the actual is. Well, how, how do I repay that debt of love to God? Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Romans chapter 12, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your... Let's say that word nice and loud. Reasonable service. Why is that a reasonable service? Because he died in my place. You see, that's why we Baptists have an empty cross in our church. Because it's been paid for. We don't believe in crucifixes. Because we don't have to recreate the death of Christ. It was done once. He despised the shame. So should we. Because he endured that shame on our behalf. But he did say on the cross, it is finished. He said, it is your reasonable service. And by the way, I can't go back. Because 
Jesus never went back. Amen? Hebrews chapter 12 says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your own minds. You will be overwhelmed with this life from time to time. There will come things that you just say, there's no way I'm going to get through this thing. Oh, wait a minute. You don't have to. He already did. You know, Peter went walking on water, not at the Lord's command, but at Peter's request. He found out that was pretty scary stuff. And he started sinking. And immediately he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out a hand. You know, it'd be easy to walk on water holding Jesus' hand. Amen? We're not trying today, all right? We, we look at that and we understand. But then when something comes up that upsets us or troubles us, we question Him. Well, wait a minute. If I acknowledge the debt owed and I present myself as the living sacrifice, who is in control? It's not not me anymore because the sacrifice has been dedicated to God. It's the priest's job. It's Jesus' job to do with your life what He wants. What if He wants you to just sit still and be quiet? It wouldn't hurt you. It would only help. You see, it's his life now. He can do with it as he pleases. You see, that's how I get to the death of self. And then you know what happens? I get forgiveness. You say, no, wait a minute, what are, you, what are you talking about? I thought you said you were talking to people who are saved. I am. But you see, when I have forgiveness from God for my sins, and I come to the death of myself, and I'm no longer trying to do things myself, I have forgiveness for all the other people in the world who do things to me. Isn't that the righteousness of God? That He has forgiven us for all the things that we have done to Him through the blood of Jesus Christ? You know, there are people who are locked up in mental institutions all over this country Because they cannot forgive someone else or forgive themselves for something that happened. I want to tell you something. 
This verse that we're looking at today has the answer. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If I have the righteousness of God in me, am I going to run around judging every other person and being mean and hurtful? You know, the Bible's offensive. Unless you realize that you are a sinner, the Bible promises you an eternal hell. And even after you realize you're a sinner, you've still got to come to Jesus and accept His payment and His payment alone. That's what being saved is. But once you're saved, God says, I've got a process. I've got some things that I want to work in your life. I want my righteousness to be made manifest in you so that as I am, so are ye in this world. God wants His righteousness manifest in our lives. That is the greatest goal of the Christian life. How do we realize that? Not by trying, but by dying. Not by sitting down and trying to think of what I can do to be a blessing to other people. But by making my body, my life, that living sacrifice and being under His direction and under His control. Am I going to do that perfectly? No. That's why He gives us life. Because when we mess up today... He gives us tomorrow to try again. It's getting rid of me and letting the world see Him. If I have forgiveness for my sins from God, guess what? I will have forgiveness for others for their sins against me. It's got to be there. That's why Jesus, when he taught the disciples to pray, he said, forgive us our debts. Forgive, uh, not debts, that's the traditional version. Forgive us our sins. Um, one is debt and the other is another word, but, <coughs> excuse me, as we forgive those who sin against us. How does that work? He forgave me for all my sin. I'm not going to hold something against someone else. Because how many sins did Jesus pay for on the cross, my friend? All of them. So I'm going to defer that situation to the Savior. Amen? He wants us to be the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. 
That is real Christianity. One more time. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We ask that you would do your work in our hearts and lives. That you 